I'm sure if you've looked at the cover of your bulletins, you're really excited about the subject today, so uh, some of you are going to, you know, that might be home one day, I'm teasing. Let's, let's, go to the, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into this Bible study today. Father, we just uh, come to your word today, and we look at this very, very uh, difficult text, uh, scary text, I should say, about a scary, scary place, and Lord, I just ask that uh, uh, if there's anyone here who doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that uh, they hear this warning that Paul gives here about this place. But also, Lord, there's, a, there's not only is there a glimpse of hell in this passage, there's also a glimpse of the glory that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we have so much hope. We, we don't have to worry about hell, Lord, but... But there are, there's a world full of people that are heading that way. And, and Lord, we want to look at this glimpse of hell so that, that uh, we'll be inspired and encouraged to, to reach out to those we know that are heading in that direction and try to get them to repent and turn, Lord, because it is a scary place. It's a terrible place. And, and Lord, we thank you that by the grace of Jesus Christ, we know that uh, we're not going to be there, Lord. We're going to be with you uh, throughout eternity. And we're just grateful for for our salvation, we're grateful for the new life and that we have in him, and Lord, for the, for the power you've given us to witness to this lost and dying world, to warn them about uh, this scary place called hell. So help us to look at this, and, and uh, Lord, open our eyes and ears to see what you would have us to see and hear what you would have us to see and hear today. I just ask that you do that by the power of your spirit. ask it in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs> If you have your Bibles, uh, if you will, turn to the book of Second uh, Thessalonians, and we will be, uh, again, in chapter number one. And like I said earlier, if you've looked at your bulletins, it's a pretty, pretty scary topic that we're looking at today. So I've got to lighten it up a little bit with a joke before we get started. There were three people that went to hell. Now, I always want to give a disclaimer. The, the names that I use here... Uh, are strictly coincidental. So if your name appears, I'm not getting on you. But there were three people that went to hell. Uh, David and Roy and Diane. <laughs> Again, that's all coincidental. They went to hell and they got to hell and they came to the fiery gates of hell and there was the devil waiting for them. And the devil... Uh, took him into hell, and he said, I'm going to show you where you're going to live forever. And there's three compartments in hell based upon how much you sin while you lived on earth. Well, he took all three of them, and first of all, he dropped David off first. And he dropped David off in this compartment, and in this compartment, there were millions and millions of people as far as the eye could see, and they were standing in hot manure up to their waist. And, they, and the devil said, David, here's where you're going to spend the rest of eternity. And then he went to the second compartment, and he took Roy there, and he dropped Roy off, and he said, Roy, here's where you're going to spend the rest of eternity. And the people were, in, you could see millions and millions of people, and they were in hot manure up to their neck. I mean, it was terrible. And so... He dropped Roy off there, and all he had left was Diane. So he went to the third compartment. And Diane looked in there, and there were these people, and they were standing in manure about ankle deep, about knee deep. And they were drinking coffee. I mean, they had it made. And Diane went in there, and she grabbed her a cup of coffee, and she's talking to the guy next to her. She said, you know, this isn't so bad. I think I can make it here. You know, apparently I didn't sin as much as Roy and David did. No sooner did the words get out of her mouth than the devil said, coffee break is over, get back on your heads. <laughs> now, that would be a scary place if that's where, what hell was like. But I've got to tell you, hell is much, much worse than what we joked about just then in that little story. And what Paul's going to do today in 2 Thessalonians He's going to give us a little glimpse into hell. 
Uh, but before we do that, I want to go back a few years. When I was in seminary, there was a friend of mine. We used to pray together every week, and uh, really, more than pray, we would get into theological discussions. Uh, really, you could probably call them theological arguments. We would love to argue about theology. Well, one day we were talking before we were getting ready to pray, and we were talking about a book by John Stott. Some of you might know who John Stott is. He's a very well-known uh, Cambridge scholar and theologian uh, uh, and Anglican pastor. He died in 2011, but he was alive back then when we were having this conversation. And I was talking about how much I liked his commentary on Acts, and uh, my friend said, you know, I like his commentary, but I'm a little leery of John Stott because he's an annihilationist. Uh, what's an annihilationist? Annihilationist is someone who believes in hell, but they believe that hell is a place where you go to be totally destroyed once you die. And, and that kind of goes against the traditional view, the fundamentalist view, because we believe in, that when you go to hell, you go there forever, and it's a conscious existence where you live in torment for eternity. Well, I always like to play the devil's advocate. And, and so when he said that, I said, well, I can understand to some degree how someone could believe, have that view, and believe in, that in annihilationism, to, and that the soul does not go to hell and is conscious of this, it lives in conscious torment forever. I can believe that. And I said, there's some scriptures, I think, that you could use to back that view up. And he said, well, name some. Well, I said, take, for example, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And it says, and do not fear, Jesus said, and do not fear those who kill the body, but, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, that verse on the surface seems to indicate that when you go to hell, your body and soul are destroyed. And so I used that verse. And then I said, just look at some of the basic verses about the gospel. I mean, we're the, the, in the gospels, we're told about the second death, as if the soul at some point dies. The wages of sin is what? Death, eternal death. Uh, the, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And, and, and then take the most basic or most uh, uh, common, or I don't want to say common because it's not a common verse, the most famous of all the gospel verses, John 3.16, and listen to it very carefully. It says, For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that kind of almost indicates that if you don't believe, then what happens to you? You perish. Your soul perishes, and to perish means to be utterly destroyed. And then I said, you know, think about the nature of God, the very nature of God. God is love. And I don't, I can understand how someone can question how a loving God could take pleasure in seeing people tormented in hell forever, suffering forever. Well, my friend immediately came back with the right answer. And again, I've, well, I'll tell you my view a little bit later on, my real view. But uh, he came back with the right answer. It's true that God is love. It's true that God is merciful. But God is also, listen to this very carefully, he is just. He is just. And he made the soul not to sin, but to be sinless. And the wages of sin is death, eternal death. And then he took me to a passage uh, in hell, I mean about hell, where Jesus said in Matthew, Mark 9, 47, listen to what he says. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. 
There the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. Well, my argument back with that, I said, well, I can see where you could question that, because that almost seems that it's speaking of the fact that hell is all, the fires of hell are always brewing. The worm is always eating bodies because people are always dying, and so it never seems to be quenched. And then he said, well, let me take you to another passage. And this was the clincher. And that's the passage that we're going to look at today. Listen to what, I think it's the best argument in the Bible for the eternal punishment. Listen to what he says in these two verses, and you can jump down to verses 8 and 9 and read with me here. He, he, and it would, if I was trying to argue for an eternal hell, I don't like talking about hell much. I, I'm not afraid to talk about hell, but I'm not going there. And I don't like talking about it that much, but there is a hell. And, and if you want to prove that there's a hell, you can go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 1 and look down at verse number 8. It says there, it's a flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction. And the order of that words is, or those two words there is important. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's a scary, scary, scary passage for those who do not know Christ. So what I want to do today, I want to take a good look at this passage, but first before we go there, we got to set it up and we got to go back to where we were at last week. Remember, Paul was commending the Thessalonians. He was commending them because they had exceeding faith. They had faith more than all the other churches. They had love more than all the other churches. They had long-suffering and patience more than all the other churches because they were going through these trials and they were doing well. They were, they were, their faith was holding up. And here was the problem. And, and, and one of the questions they had, and one of the questions I always had, why was God allowing them to be persecuted? I mean, it seemed as if those Jews and Romans who were persecuting this church at Thessalonica were getting away with it, and God was allowing them to get away with it. Well, that's where we want to pick up today. We want to pick up in verse number 6, and you'll see that they were not getting away with it. Because look at what he says. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and, and the word trouble there is the word tribulation. Those who tribulation you, you could say. Those who put you through tribulation. One of the main reasons that there's a hell, because it's the righteous thing to do, to repay those wicked people, evil people, who come against God's people, and, and when they come against God's people, who are they really in reality coming against? They're coming against God. And so... God is just. Everything he does is righteous. Everything he does is righteous. And that's why he punishes wickedness. If he allowed wickedness to go on forever, if he allowed people to live forever in wickedness, he would not be righteous. At some point, he's going to have to punish the wicked in order to be just. And and it's clear, the Bible's very clear, that what you sow is what you reap. And what you reap is more bountiful than what you sow. If you reap good in your life, you're going to sow good things, many more good things than what you sow. I mean, you're going to reap many more things than what you sow. But it's, what's true for good is also true for evil. If you do evil, the same principle applies. If you sow evil, you're going to reap much more evil than you sow because you're coming against an eternal God, an angry God. He's angry at you if you're reaping evil, if you're doing wickedness. And we've all done wickedness at some point. That's why we need a Savior. And here were these people that were persecuting the Thessalonians 
and they were at war with the Thessalonians. But really, who were they at war with? They were at war with God. Guess who's going to win that war? God's going to always win that war. If you're not in Christ, you're at enmity with God. You're an enemy of God. You're at war with God. And you're going to reap evil things in your life. And then eventually, you will reap hell. Because God is just. It's a righteous thing with God to repay people who persecute God's people is what he says here. Now, verse number 7. And to give you who are troubled, those who are in tribulation, same word there. The, the word for is, for is, should be translated tribulation. And to give you who are in tribulation rest with us when Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Look, the Lord's coming soon, and he's going to make everything right. You know, I think it's interesting here in this passage, you learn a little bit more about his coming. He comes with who? He comes with his saints. We know that. But he also comes with his angels. That's going to be some grand appearance when the heavens open up in Christ's return. I'm going to tell you what, it's going to be something to see. But when that happens, we're going to get rest from the wicked because the day of the wicked is going to be over. The people who don't know Christ are going to be out of here. Let me tell you where they're going to go. Are they going to go to hell? No, they're not going to go to hell. They're going to be cast into Hades. Hades is a pretty bad place, too. Hades is a terrible place. You, if you want to learn about Hades, you can read about the, rich, the, the story about rich, the rich man and Lazarus and just how bad the rich man was in the part of Hades where the wicked are going to go. And, and it's a terrible, terrible place. It's a hot place. It's a place of thirst. It's a place of darkness. It's a place where you want out of there every minute. And you're going to be there, I'm going to tell you right now, if you go there, you're going to be there a minimum of 1,000 years. Because the, 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 the great white throne judgment uh, which takes place and where the wicked are cast into the lake of fire doesn't take place for a thousand years. So you're going to be down there in the underworld. You know, you see these people, there's this movement right now of people preparing themselves for the underworld. They're longing for the underworld. They're looking forward to the underworld. Let me tell you what, you don't want to go down to that underworld. You don't want to go down to Hades. It is a scary, frightening, terrible place of wicked people and demons and eventually the devil. It's, it's like the bottomless pit. It's a terrible place. And, and, and that's where uh, people are going to go. And then at the end of the uh, millennium, there will be the great white throne judgment and they will be cast, the wicked and the devil and his demons will be cast into the lake of fire which is hell, which is what Paul describes now in verses 8 and 9. Let's know what he says. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who are bad people. Is that what it says? Watch this very carefully, because there's a lot of bad people who think they're good people. He, he's going to take flaming fire. He's going to take vengeance on those who do not know God. If you do not know God, you are a wicked person in God's eyes. I don't care how good you think you are. If you don't know God, you are a wicked person. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished. Now, I'm not, this isn't, I'm not making this up here. This is in the word of God. They will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Once your fate is set, it is set forever. Forever. It's set forever. If you find yourself in Hades, your fate's set forever. And I'll explain that here in just a minute why it's set forever. But first of all, I want to look at these three reasons that people go to hell. Well, Paul gave us the first one in verse number 6. And that, looking back at verse number 6, it's that they war against God and his people. They persecute God's people, and by persecuting God's people, they're persecuting Christ. Just like they persecuted Christ when he was on this earth. And, and, and because they're persecuting Christ, they're at war with God. That's one reason people go to hell. But look at this second reason that we find here in verse number 8. 
They do not know God. They do not know God. You know why they don't know God? Because they don't want to know God. I'm too busy with my life to know God. There's a, there's a group of uh, people, a, a large proportion of people in America who are too busy with their life to want to know God. They don't want God in their lives. And let me tell you what, if you don't want to know God, God doesn't want to know you. And, you, he, and if you, look, God knows who every single person on this earth in one sense. But to know God in a relationship, you have to want to know God. And if you don't want to know God, he doesn't want to know you. And he won't know you. And if he doesn't know you, then at some point he's going to say, depart from me, you wicked, you cursed, you cursed. Uh, depart from me for I never knew you. And, and so, if they don't want to know God, and they don't want to choose to know God, then they don't want to be in heaven, because let me tell you something, heaven is all, it's God's place. It's all about God. If you don't love God, you won't want to be in heaven. You, you'll probably want to be in hell, because the hell is the devil's abode. That's his place. That's his domain. And then the third reason that people go to hell, and this is really, it all, you can boil it down all of this, they do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at the last part of verse number 8. They do, they do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that almost makes it sound like the gospel is some sort of law that you have to do certain things in order to obey the gospel. No, the gospel is all about God's mercy and about his grace. I mean, you've got to obey the gospel in order to get to heaven. Unless you obey the gospel, you're not going to get to heaven. But how do we obey the gospel? We, to obey the gospel simply means that we believe in Jesus Christ, that we receive the gift of salvation that we put our faith in Christ to, for our sins. We put our faith in the blood that he shed on that cross to cover us and to make us righteous, to give us his righteousness. And if you reject that gift of salvation, then you're rejecting Christ. You're rejecting the Son of God. You're rejecting God. And, and, and so... If God is just, you, you can see why there's only one thing that he can do, and that's to send you to hell, because you don't want to know God, and heaven is about God. Some people I hear say on occasion, you know, God would never allow people to go to hell. I mean, he's a God of love, and he's a God of mercy. He is. But let me ask you a question. How much more love can he show you? to come to this earth as a little baby and grow up and die for your sin, how much more love can he show you? How much more mercy can he show you than to say, I'm going to die for you, I'm going to pay for your sin so you can have a relationship with me? If you reject that love, what, what kind of love do you want? You can't get more love than that. And so if we reject the cross, we reject Christ, we deserve hell. You know, people go to hell because they choose to go to hell. They go to hell because they don't want Christ. They will not have this man rule over them. Now, I'll tell you, part of the gospel is this. You receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, not just your Savior, as your Lord. He becomes Lord of your life. I mean, none of us have made him Lord of all our lives, but we recognize him as our Lord and as our master. And we love him, and we want him to be our Lord and our master. But most people, you know, the reason they reject the gospel isn't that they want to go to hell. They reject the gospel because we will not have this man, Jesus Christ, rule over us. We are our own kings. We're our own gods. We don't want the king of kings. C.S. Lewis once said, that the gates of hell are locked from the inside. They're locked from the inside. What do you mean by that? 
He means that they're locked so that God can't come in because people don't want God. The people that will be in hell are people that don't want God. They don't want a relationship with God. And, and they're rebels to the end. They're rebels to the end all the way to the end of eternity. They rebel against the rule of God in their lives. You get some precursor to this mindset in the great tribulation when you see hell on earth. In the great tribulation, I, I, I tell you what, we're not far from there now because I see a lot of hell on earth right now, but it's going to get a lot worse. We're going to see in 2 Thessalonians, the first thing that's going to ha happen, we're going to see in the next chapter next week, is that the thing that restrains evil is going to be removed from this earth. That is the church and that is the spirit of God. You can either, however you want to look at it, the spirit of God in us. It is, the, the, the church is going to be removed and all hell is going to break out on this earth. This earth is going to be swarming with demons and devils and, and wicked people. And the earth is going to be set on fire through all of these wars and disasters that are going to come on the earth. And you would think at that point that people would cry out, Lord, I'm sorry, I repent. I, I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm, I'm tired of what's going on. I see how evil, evil can get without you. I'm done. But you know that's not what they're going to do? Listen, listen to what you hear in Revelation chapter 6. Let me read uh, verses 15 through 17. And it says, And the kings of the earth and the great man the rich man, the commanders, the mighty man, every slave and every free man, I mean everybody, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? In that great and terrible day when there's hell on earth, Instead of people crying out, Lord, forgive me, Lord, save me, they cry out, let the rocks fall on us. Hide us from his face. We don't, we hate him. But hide us from his wrath because he's coming to get us. He's coming to destroy us. But you can't hide from God. You don't care. You can make your bed in hell and you can't hide from God. No matter you ascend to heaven, you don't hide from God. On this earth, you don't hide from God. And so much of man, mankind is going to spend eternity in this place called hell. Now, look at how, y'all got to be smiling some. This doesn't apply to you, most of you. Now, let's, let's look at how Paul depicts hell. And he gives, I think, the most vivid description of hell in the Bible in just two little verses. First of all, in verse 6, I'm sorry, in verse number 8, it is a flaming fire. A flaming fire, because God is a flaming fire. And this refers to God and it refers to hell. Why the fire? Why the fire? Well, to take vengeance on those who reject Jesus Christ and those who persecute God, those who hate God. Wait a minute. God is love. God's not going to take vengeance on people. God is love. Let me tell you something. You better read your Bible carefully. God is hate. You catch that? God is hate. God is love, but God is hate. Let me read you a passage, or quote a passage. Es Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. Now, you know what? God loved Esau, but he hated at some point because Esau totally rejected him and didn't want anything to do with him and profaned the promises of, that God had given to Abraham because he didn't want anything to do with those promises. He just wanted to suck this world like an orange. At some point, the line was drawn in the sand, and his heart was, heart was hardened, and God hated him. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, God was so patient with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh kept hardening his heart and hardening his heart against, and hardening his heart against God. And at one point, God at, at, at the point where God had had enough, God said, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He hardened his heart. Now, when God hardens your heart, God hates you. Read Romans 1. You know, people get into so much debauchery and sin and this gross sin, and at some point, God gives them over to that sin. That is hate. 
That is hate. Now, you can, you can put flowers over that and dress it up a little bit and color it up a little bit, but in reality, that is hate. When God gives somebody up to hell, that is hate. And there comes a point where God hates his enemies, even though he's loved them as much as he possibly could, even though he's done anything he He's done everything he can to save them. At some point, God exercises his wrath on those people. Now, you can call it wrath, you can call it hate, you can call it punishment, you can call it whatever you want to call it. But God is just. And and so that's why you have this flaming fire. It's not only a a, a place of flaming fire, it's a place, look next, of everlasting destruction everlasting destruction. That means destruction that lasts forever, where the fires are not quenched, where, let me tell you what, if you're in hell and you've been there for for, uh, a thousand years, you've been down there for a thousand years, and you think, wow, this is just about over. It's not anywhere near over. When you've been there for a million years, it's not anywhere near over. When you've been there for 10 billion years, It's not anywhere over. It's forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And because it's the place of everlasting destruction, that means it's the same eternal habitation of the devil and his hordes of demons. Let me read to you from Matthew chapter 25. Uh, When Jesus sits on the white throne judgment seat, This is what he'll say. He'll say, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, the lake of fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell wasn't prepared for you. Hell wasn't prepared for Adam and Eve and his descendants. Hell was prepared for the devil and his everlasting angels. But people want to follow the devil and live like the devil. They're going to end up in the devil's abode. It, they're going to end up in, 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 in his domain. In Milton's Paradise Lost, the people in hell say, it is better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Let me tell you what, you're not going to reign in hell if you're in hell. You might reign here on the earth. The devil might use you for a while, but the devil rules hell. His demons rule hell. That's, that's the place of the devil and his demons. It's going to be a terrible place. It's a place of utter darkness. How do I know it's a place for utter darkness? Look at verse number, look at verse number uh, nine. Look at what he says there. He says, it's from the presence of the Lord. The, the Lord is what? The Lord is light. And in him is no darkness at all. You remove the Lord and there is no light. So hell in the Bible is described as this place of outmost darkness, of utter darkness where there is no light, where you can't see anything. You'll hear sounds and you'll feel pain, but you won't see anything. And then, this is maybe the scariest part. Watch this carefully. Here's where a lot of people go wrong. He says it's a place removed from the glory of his power. He's gone. <laughs> you make it to Hades, you'll see Jesus one more time at the white throne judgment seat before you're cast in the lake of fire. But after that, he's gone. He's gone. Not gone for a few years. Not gone for a few thousand years or a few million years or through a few billion years or a few trillion years. He's gone forever. You'll never see him again. What does that mean? That means once you're in hell, you can never get saved. Once you're in Hades, you can never get saved. It's, your, your fate is set. If you die without Christ, Your fate is set because you have been removed from the power and mercy and love and glory of God forever. That's why the Bible says it's appointed unto man in the book of Hebrews. It's appointed unto man once to die 
and then the judgment. Then the judgment, the white throne judgment, you'll face God at the white throne judgment, you'll be cast in the lake of fire, and you'll never see God again. And there's no hope in hell. Absolutely no hope. It's nothing but despair. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. But we're not going there, are we? Those who believe, those who truly believe, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't read a passage like this and not make a sincere effort to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. The fear and trembling is because you read a passage like this. I want to be doggone sure that I believe. Well, everybody believes. You ask any American walking the streets, who's Jesus? Oh, I know about Jesus. I don't like the guy. Or I might. Some say, I like him. He's a good philosopher. Some say, he died for my sins on the cross. But have you really believed under salvation where you've been sealed with the Spirit of God, where you've been born again? Remember what Jesus said? In order to enter the kingdom of heaven, no man will enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. You must be born again. You must believe to the point where your life has been changed by Jesus Christ. And look, I can tell you, I see people all the time that call themselves Christians, and I know for a fact they've never been born again. And if you're not born again, you don't know God. And one of the things here that Paul tells us, one of the ways to get to hell is to not know God. Because if you don't want to know God, God doesn't want to know you. And that's on you. Knowing God is a choice you make. When you believe unto salvation, you're saying Christ died for me in order to enter into a relationship with me, in order to be my God, in order to save me, in order to live with me forever in heaven. And, and so that's what really believing is, where you truly put your faith in Jesus Christ. And, and if you really believe, once you've really been born again, hell's out of the picture for you. There's no more hell. I don't have to worry about hell anymore. You know what, what I worry about in terms of hell or in the context of hell? I worry about people I know who are lost. People I know who are hypocrites, calling themselves Christians and they're not Christians. People who have been duped into thinking that they're religious enough to get to heaven. Look, religion won't get you there. Jesus Christ gets you there. The blood of Jesus Christ gets you there. The Holy Spirit gets you there. And if you have not been born again, if you've not been born again, you know you haven't been born again. Because when you're born again, the most important thing to you in this life is Jesus Christ. And if you can't say that, you're not born again. And if you're not born again, you're on your way to hell. And I don't care what religion, what denomination you are, how many times you go to church, how much you read your Bible. You can memorize the whole thing, but until you're born again, you're on the way to hell. But, but, those who believe will not only be saved, but they won't be absent from the power and glory of God. They will be present in the power and glory of God. Look at verse number 10. When he comes in that day, and he's coming, and he's coming really soon. He's talking about the second coming here to be glorified in his saints. Who's his saints? It's not somebody the, point, the Pope appoints. His saints, read your Bible. His saints are believers, born-again believers. Those are his saints. Thank goodness, because nobody would be a saint if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus Christ. He makes us saints. He sanctifies us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might have the righteousness of God in him. He gives us his righteousness when we trust in the cross. And, and so when he comes in that day to be glorified with his saints, we're going to bask forever in the glory, not from his glory, not from his power, but in his power and in his glory. And he will be admired among those who believe. 
Those of us who are left on this earth will admire the Lord. Everyone on this earth will admire the Lord. Go back and read Micah chapter 5. Read Micah chapter 4, what we've been covering on Wednesday night. And look at how the whole world comes to hear Jesus Christ and to worship Jesus Christ and to admire Jesus Christ. We, we, those who believe will admire him. You know, your exceedingly great reward is to be in the presence and power of Jesus Christ forever. That's your reward. That's your great reward. If you don't see that, I, I, I got a question if you're even born again. That's the reward. And why do we believe? Because the reason, I mean, why are we going to be in glory and never, other people in hell? Because Paul's testimony, look at the last part of this verse, Paul's testimony among us was believe. We believe. Look, there's not a person in this room, including myself, especially including myself, that doesn't deserve hell. We all deserve hell. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve hell. And God is just. The wages of sin is death. He set it up that way with Adam and Eve. Look, you, you, you don't sin you're going to live in, in, in the, my presence and my glory and in bliss and joy and peace forever. You sin, and the wages of sin is death. And God is just, and he's not a liar. And we have all have sinned. But God has become the justifier of our sin in Jesus Christ. Read Romans chapter 3. And he's made, uh, we're not righteous, but he's made us righteous by his death on the cross. And by his death on the cross, he brings us into the presence of his power and glory forever. You're there if you believe. You're totally there. Verse number 11, therefore, since you're on the way to glory and you're not on your way to hell, we also pray always that our God would count you worthy of this calling. You're calling to heaven. When you, got, you were called to be saved, you got saved, you were called to his, into his power and glory, and you're there when you get saved. And, 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 and we pray, Paul says, that he prays for all of us. He prays for the Thessalonians. He prays for me, he prays for you, that we'll live worthy of that calling. To, the calling that we have to be citizens of heaven and not citizens of hell. We've been made for heaven and not hell, and we're to live worthy of that calling, to fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. In other words, to live a life of worth, worthy of our calling, not in our strength, but by faith in his power. We're to live a life that is well-pleasing to the Lord. And when we live like the people destined for heaven instead of the people destined for hell, look at the last verse. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ is glorified in us and we in him. All by his grace, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gift of God and not works. Don't you see why there is a hell. If you, if God would give you his own son, if God would die for you, show you his grace and show you his mercy and show you his love and you reject that, don't you see how that would perpetuate the wrath of God in your life? How could anyone choose death and hell over Christ and life? You know, you read your Bible, and I would really have liked it if God had just written a chapter about heaven and just shown us all the glories of heaven. You know, Paul had a trip to heaven, and it was so glorious, he wouldn't even talk about it. Now, there's a lot of people that have these trips to heaven, and they will talk about it. 
But, I, but you know, you kind of wonder why there's so little because we, we only get a glimpse of heaven in the Bible. We only get a glimpse. And I think the reason we only get a glimpse of heaven is that if we could see heaven today as heaven really is, we, we, we'd all want to go there. Everybody in the world would want to go there. But not because they love God, but because they loved heaven. You know, that's why it bothers me when I hear of these people who have visions of heaven and Jesus becomes nothing more than a tour guide that shows them around to their wonderful abode. You know, the streets of gold and their new mansion and all of these kind of things. Listen, heaven could be a swamp. And if the Lord's there, it's going to be a glorious place. It could be Louisiana. And if the Lord's there, it's a glorious place. It could be a 50-year-old building on Camellia Avenue. And I got to tell you, if the Lord's there, it's a glorious place. It could be my closet at home, four white walls. And if the Lord's there, it's a glorious place. And for a similar reason, that we only get a glimpse of hell, I mean a glimpse of heaven, I think for the similar reason, we only get a glimpse of hell. Because if people could see the horrors of hell, if God had written an entire chapter about hell and given us an absolute picture of hell, nobody would go there. Nobody, all those people that are dying to get in the underworld, as soon as they get there, they're going to want out. Nobody would want to go to Hades. Nobody would want to go to hell. But the reason they wouldn't want to go wouldn't be because they love the Lord. The reason they wouldn't want to go is because they're afraid of the horrors of hell. And so God only gives us glimpses of heaven. He only gives us glimpses of hell. But let me tell you what, he gives me enough glimpse of both that I know which place I want to live in forever. I want to live forever in heaven. I, I don't want to live in hell. You know, I'm not an annihilationist. I don't believe in annihilationism. I believe in a literal, eternal hell for the lost. And I, I, I don't say that gladly. But let me tell you why I believe that. Not just because of this passage here in 2 Thessalonians, but because when the millennium is over and we face Christ at the judgment seat, Everybody at that point goes into eternity. Everything is eternal at that point. God created the soul to be an eternal being. And when we go into eternity, everything's eternal, including the soul. So death is eternal. The second death, that's an eternal death. The lake of fire is eternal. There's no time in eternity. Everything is eternal. And so the destruction of the soul is eternal. And the Bible seems to speak of a conscious existence in hell for those who go to hell. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 41 and 42, it says the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all those who offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace, at some point cast them into the furnace of fire. And there there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, for you to wail and gnash, you've got to be conscious. And you're in eternity, and how long is that wailing and gnashing going to last? It's going to last for eternity. There's no time. There's no clock there. It's forever. 
So there you have it. You got a glimpse of hell and even a little glimpse of glory in this passage. You know, as your choice. Isn't it marvelous how God has given us choice? He respects the human being so much, so much, that he will even let you choose to go to hell if you want to. He respects your choice so much that he will even let you choose to go to hell if you want to. your choice. It's your choice. Let me conclude with the choice Moses gave the people of Israel. Because it's the same choice we have today. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, heaven and hell, blessing and cursing, hope and despair. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Let me tell you what, parents here today, you choose hell, you've chosen hell for your children more than likely too. You can just bank on it. You choose heaven, more than likely you've chosen heaven for your children. That you may live, love the Lord your God, that's what heaven's all about, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. He determines how long you live with him in heaven or hell, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, the promised land, the heavenly promised land. Look, the choice is simple, isn't it? Choose Christ. Choose eternal life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and for your word, even these passages that maybe aren't so pleasing to our souls, Lord, but their truth about the destination of our souls. Lord, if there's someone here today that says, I just don't believe in heaven, I don't believe in hell, Lord, I ask today that you make both of those places real for them. But more importantly, Lord, that you make Jesus Christ real to them, that you make the gospel real to them, that they understand that except by your power, and your life-changing spirit, all human beings are heading for hell. So we thank you for the grace we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for heaven, Lord. We thank you for the glorious prospect we have of living forever in your presence, for being your sons and daughters, for, for ruling and reigning with you forever. What a glorious future we have in Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.